And we are live once again. Welcome one, welcome all to Casual Cognition. I'm here with my good friend, Nate Sweet, and we are bringing to you a continuation of last week's episode. If you, uh, if you didn't catch that one, feel free to check that one out. It was real quick. We had a bit of a weird situation last week. It was a little hectic. We didn't have much time to put everything together. But we kind of um, started sliding into a, what I would consider to be very strangely divisive topic, which is that of parenting. And, um, you know, we just, we had such a good time talking about that, that we decided, you know what, we need to continue this conversation when we have a little bit more time. So here we are. Welcome, my friend. Yes, I am excited for this conversation. This is a little bit of a uh, little bit of a divisive topic, I think, especially in the uh, in the modern times. Although I suppose it's always been a little divisive. I mean, people people always get a little uh, a little uppity about questioning their parenting. Hmm. Even if it's objectively bad. <laughs> like, even if you were to just point out something shitty that somebody's doing, they're like, are you, are you trying to tell me how to parent my child? <laughs> That's like almost like a trope. Right. Like a movie trope. People do not like to be questioned on their parenting, and uh, um, they do not like to be told that they're they're doing something wrong. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you you bring that up because I was even thinking of, like, what I find weird is that it's it's divisive nowadays of, like, whether or not you should have children at all. Mm. <laughs> you know, like that's a big thing now with the with the environmental stuff and like you know the whole ethos that uh, or the whole kind of idea that humans are a cancer on this planet and we're just destroying everything and horrible viruses that should all die so we shouldn't have kids kind of thing and i'm like i don't know if i've heard that uh, particular take too many times i mean times. <laughs> i feel like there's That's like an underlying nihilistic. there's a i've i've definitely i've definitely seen some of that it's not it's not explicit in that manner but there there is some weird underlying like anti-humanism in some of the more like radical um what is it like yeah some some different groups um but there's always weird shit going on if you if you look and <laughs> look in extreme places so i suppose that's not it's not something to be uh too concerned about but it is uh it is interesting it's an interesting thing so well, i mean i guess we can entirely averse to the idea that there are too many humans and we don't need to be adding to it. I'm really not uh, not against that idea. Um, not necessarily for the idea of like 
culling pop the population in any way. Not not even not necessarily. I'm against the idea of culling the human <laughs> population. I can say that with uh, pretty strongly. Um, but but uh, I I am um, I do think that it's not a bad idea to say that. Well, you know, people shouldn't be having shitloads of kids, and we already have an overpopulation problem across the globe um the, the one of the biggest problems with that is that um more developing nations tend to have higher birth rates so it's kind of like like somebody like me has the luxury of saying i'm not going to have kids and somebody else should think twice about having kids whereas if you're in a developing nation well, you need to have kids because it's like part of the survival um, equation. Like you, 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 a lot of people around the world don't have the luxury of saying that we uh, that, that that they're not going to have kids, and that's that's been something that is kind of a modern um, a modern institution that's been created of like uh, out of out of wealth and out of technology. Um, so contraceptives not, <clears throat> yeah yeah that too where people would just be like yeah I'm, I'm not gonna have any kids and yeah I, f I find it interesting you know because for me like I don't think there's I don't think it's it's necessarily the fact that there's too many humans like I think we could easily handle having like even way more humans but it's it's more of just like the current practices around food production and um energy kind of, production yeah energy production and um, That's one of the kind of ones. urban development Probably and like one. just that kind of stuff i think that's more of the issue than like how many people there are and obviously those things are related but i think that you know as we progress technologically we're like we're going to be able to easily handle um, what, what we're going to get to, I, I believe right now, it seems like we're going to peak at around 9 billion. And yeah, then the estimate is like between nine and 10 billion. Yeah. And then there's actually going to be like, and a lot of people are starting to get concerned actually about population collapse, right? Because as we get, uh, more and more, uh, generally as populations get more well-educated and, richer they just like have less kids and there's many countries on the planet that have like that are that have less they have a lower birth rate than even replacement so their populations are going down and they're like scrambling to get people to actually have kids because yeah we, there has kind of been this this thing with with the climate change thing like people have been kind of beating that drum you know, since the '60s, of like, oh, we're we're all gonna fucking die from we're, we're overpopulated and we're, you know, freaking out about it. And you know, there's there's a I think there's good reason to kind of be freaking out about the whole the climate change issues. Um, but I I do think it's it's very interesting how like now we're getting to the point where it's like it actually may come there may come a time where the opposite is going to be the problem that there's actually not enough people having having children um and i definitely wouldn't have i wouldn't have guessed that no really. why why would that be a problem 
Well, here's the thing. The problem, I think the, the main issue with that is like, so if you have a steep drop off of, of um, a generation that's just like, okay, we're not gonna have kids. Mm -hmm. The main problem is you have this period of time where you have like um, the pre previous generations that had a really high birth rate there, there will come a time where there's like basically there's just way more old people yeah. than young people and there's not enough able-bodied um people to provide to provide and produce the necessary and and also to innovate necessarily to to kind of provide for the entire pop for the population yeah, so this is a this is a localized civilizational problem in my mind it's not necessarily a long-term problem, and I think it's something, in my in my view, I, I do think that there's too many humans, and I think that, you know, billions upon billions of humans and, and trying to increase the growth rate of those, of, of our species is just, has a lot of issues that comes along with it, and we shouldn't, like, like if we have a population collapse in that way, what's going to happen is yes there's going to be a lot of suffering and there's going to be a lot of death and the population level in general will adjust to it just in the same way that the population exploded to a ridiculous degree during the industrial period from less than 1 billion to now we have over 7 billion if if we get to the point where our birth rates drop off and we go through a period of struggle um <clears throat> I think that that's just the cost of of you know modernization. That's just how our civilization is going to adjust our population based upon what is uh, what is what is happening in reality. I mean, the the alternative being people having shitloads of babies that you know we don't really need in the population because we people were having way more babies because of high infant mortality and the need for those children to work in family businesses and farms and things like that like we don't need that anymore so yeah there's going to be a lot of older people who don't necessarily have as many young people to support them in the late generations but that's just a part of kind of the civilizational cycle in, in, in my mind so it's not to me that's not necessarily a problem or I, I shouldn't say it's not a problem. It's not a bad thing necessarily. It's a it's something we'll have to figure out. Through yeah, ideally we'll like have social uh, security and and, yeah, and social automation safety programs. And, yeah, yeah, and and I think that there are solutions that we can have to that. But I definitely don't think that the solution is having more babies to try and adjust for that. <laughs> That's mm. my take on that. Yeah. I am obviously uh a little bit more on the mindset of um you know i i think that people should feel absolutely free to not have kids and um and be free to to not rely upon having kids in a modern wealthy society like the united states or like um you know denmark where you live or, or sweden you know, we should be we should be able to have systems in place where that's not a, uh, a necessary thing, and we can we can run our society 
without trying to, you know, uh, just birth a bunch of kids who are like, oh yeah, well, we we need kids because we need workers. We need more people to work and run our shit. Versus like, oh yeah, well let's just have you know natural like whatever whatever the birth rate of our society demands. Like it, that demand will be met by the by the people. Like let's not try and increase that. I think that that's the. That, that should be something that is possible in a, in a modern, wealthy society. I think the thing that concerns me the most is I keep seeing this where I a bunch of you know people, and of course this is anecdotal, but like many people that I know that I consider to be very intelligent and compassionate and just all around great people who I think would be amazing parents and they're many of them are deciding not to have children and these are the people that I'm like dude you are the people that should be having fucking children <laughs> okay and then meanwhile you have other people who um like they have children because they're they're just not thinking about it and it's just that's just what you do and even though yeah well I don't have any money and I don't know how to take care of kids and I don't give a shit about them and uh, I'm you know you can fill in fill in the gaps they yeah, just have the kids idiocracy argument <laughs> exactly so that's like what i'm worried about like i find that a lot of like super intelligent well-rounded people are deciding not to have kids and then it's like everyone else is having kids and i'm like dude this is um i don't know it's a it's just a little bit concerning for me i gotta say <laughs> so this is this is one thing that i i think about with the idiocracy argument um looking back to a lot of the people who um, who are very intelligent, well-rounded people who have goals and, you know, lofty goals often, um, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be good parents. And a lot of the people that I respect tremendously as teachers, as artists, as, um, you know, spiritual people they're just they, they were not good parents you know, alan watts is a perfect example actually you know i love alan watts terrible dad you know he could mm. he was not a good father objectively he admitted it many times and had a lot of kids he had no bu real business being a dad or a husband, for that matter, for the most part. He was—he had three different wives, and he did not do very well as a husband either. Right. And so just because somebody is intelligent and um, well-adjusted and is good at this or that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be a good parent. And just because somebody is a fucking kind of a mess and you know has these issues, this or that, doesn't, doesn't mean that they're going to be bad parents. Um, yeah, I mean, my issue is people not having children for environmental reasons. I honestly, who I, I think I, I feel like that that is that is there's probably a very very small number of people who the defining factor of why they're not having a child is for the environment. 
Like, yeah, I mean, I know a couple of them. Most people have a hard I time just, fucking. Again, it's anecdotal, but yeah, well, most people have a hard time like recycling for the environment. Like, <laughs> and even even the people who you would know, I bet that there's a lot of other factors as to why they don't want to have kids. And it's not like, oh, we really really want to have kids. That's 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 what we feel we want to do, but we're sacrificing that desire for the environment. Like, I I I feel like that that number of people maybe they are but that number of people is probably extraordinarily rare well it's also it's all it's not just environmental concerns i think it's just like this it's this like just it's it's kind of this sentiment and it's related to this kind of like environmental alarmism but just kind of a general sentiment that the future is going to be a bad that they won't be they won't be in good shape. Like, why bring a kid into this? Exactly. World? That's that's what I, that's I a hear that, that quite well, a that's bit. That's a different argument. And I once again would say that the number is pretty small of people who would really want to have kids but decide not to because you know they they're sacrificing that desire to not uh, because they're worried about the future. I'm sure that a huge part of that is because they feel that they're not going to be able to properly raise a child going forward because they feel that the future is fucked up um and i think that 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 economic anxiety is 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 a big part of that and that's a that's a reasonable thing to feel and one of the biggest factors in america actually for um millennials not having kids is because they feel that they will not be able to afford it economically Mm. and you know you guys have different social safety nets over there so maybe there's different motivations i mean Um, honestly that's that's been one of the main like things for me to um to not have a kid so far like i um i i think that i want to have children one of these days i think yeah i just i fucking love kids and i think uh, i will have a great great time it's always been my dream to be a stay-at-home dad so you know <laughs> <laughs> you lazy um, fuck it's okay if no, i was a dad i'd, I'd stay at home dad that'd be sweet. <laughs> that's the dream man but no but like definitely that's that's been you know when because i've talked about this with my a significant other and that's been kind of one of the main things for me that's been kind of like okay let's slow down here for a second because like i am fucking broke <laughs> like I, I i can barely support myself right now so um doesn't feel doesn't feel good to bring a life into this world when you are kind of scrambling to yeah feel secure financially and and this is over here right so i can definitely understand that sentiment especially when you have uh when you're competing against black rock and vanguard for uh homes if you want to <laughs> if you want to have a place to well, live how about just healthcare? i mean the cost of pregnancy in the united states is insane i mean if you if you go to the hospital for your pregnancy Without any insurance, you're gonna owe tens of thousands of dollars. It's yeah, just, that's crazy, man. That's just standard. And so, what? How, beyond that, you know, 
everything involving the baby's health care, the mother's health care, like it, it all costs a shitload of money here. And a lot of t- a lot of insurances, a lot of like basic insurance programs, they'll cover like the emergency pregnancy care, but like all the the, the post pregnancy care and everything um, that's that's not covered. So even if mm. you have insurance that covers your pregnancy, you'll still come out owing tens of thousands of dollars. And that's not even counting the baby's care. So Oh, that's brutal, man. Yeah, it's it's fucking nuts. So at least in America, like I can understand why people would say like having a baby is is just not in the cards. And 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 whenever people talk in America about how, oh, you know, people people aren't having more kids like we need to encourage people with monogamy and shit to have more kids i'm like that's not the problem it's not because of sexual promiscuity and (laughs) and fear of commitment that people aren't having children it's because of fucking economic anxiety because people are struggling to get by and so obviously they don't feel like that they can have kids and so the majority Maybe not the majority. I shouldn't say that because I have no data to back it up. But I think a lot of <laughs> a lot of pregnancies are accidental pregnancies, and mm. those are the ones that end up being, um, the, you know, where where the the mothers and and hopefully the fathers are trying to take care of the kids, and they're struggling financially, and you know that's of course where where the big abortion argument comes in, where uh, you know abortion is essentially banned and a lot of states around the united states right now so and and you know contraceptives are not freely available it's all these different factors that go into the issue of of birthing rates in the united states and um and and whether people want to have kids feel comfortable having kids and really in my opinion whether they should be having kids because there's a lot of people out there who want to have kids and they really don't have any business having kids. I mean, they, they have no fucking clue. They don't have the financial capabilities. And a lot of times they end up relying on grandparents, which is, you know, in, in a certain way, like, okay, well, the grandparents should be helping. But that creates another financial burden a lot of times on a, a, an older um, class that, you know, is now supporting an extra kid whenever they're trying to retire and move into their old age. So this is very, very complex issue over here. And, and I obviously only know about about it here because I live here. But it's something that I, I th- I've read into a lot, I think about a lot, and, and I think is a really important conversation that's not really being had all that much. Hmm. Yeah, well, these are, you know... I know that was a lot. <laughs> some of the... Uh, some of the factors we should all take into account before uh, raw dogging it, <laughs> <laughs> as we as we used to call it. Oh my god, I, that term that that is one of the most vulgar terms. <laughs> oh uh, man, brings my me back. Goodness. Brings me back to the good old days, eh, bud? Oh boy. <laughs> I don't know if they were the good old days. <laughs> wink, we'll get wink. into that though here in a bit. That's uh, I think that's your that's your cue, bud. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, well, so the, I I did tease a little bit on last week's episode that I would tell some stories. So, 
um, I did, I'll set this up by saying that there are consequences to having children. And sometimes, <laughs> even if you do your absolute best and you love the kid and you try hard, you work hard, you're successful, life will still kick you in the dick so hard that you just end up fucking your kids up <laughs> or at least your kids end up fucked up yeah i think that's i don't even think sometimes is the right word there i think like almost certainly it's almost Dude, certain <laughs> i know a few golden boys and, girls, <laughs> and i am so jealous of them it's almost Dude. like infuriating I feel like those people like, like you think they're golden uh, golden boys and girls but like they just they're just they've repressed that shit so no, deep down I mean, that they don't even know I mean it's probably a little <laughs> bit I, I do have a little bit of this 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 attitude this this is a this is a funny thing um cuz I I preach about how you shouldn't compare um levels of trauma and levels of difficulty in people's lives but I sometimes can't help but do that. <laughs> and just, you know, comparatively. I mean, our, our victim culture is doing everything it can to to uh, uh, encourage you to do so, you know? Well, I almost think that... that <laughs> I, I No, I don't think so as far as that. I mean, I actually <laughs> laugh at a lot of them because I've had it in a lot of ways a lot worse than people who try to be fucking victims. That's That's what I feel like. I'm speaking out, uh, speaking against in this situation of like, like whenever I, I try to be patient with people whenever they are going through some shit, because I do know that it's very important to not compare um, one's trauma with another and, and, and look down on somebody for having a lesser trauma. But it's also sometimes um, I can get a little jealous of somebody. I, I have somebody in mind that I'm thinking of, a few people in mind that I'm thinking of, and I promise you if, if you ask them, they would say that, like, oh, yeah, I came out lucky. And they're, you know, they have little things here and there, but I, uh, you know, they, they look at somebody like me or they look at somebody like a few other people who, who I won't name on the podcast, <laughs> but who I know and who you and I both know. Um, and, and they're, you know, it's, it's kind of horrific to them. Mm. And, and because they, they, they made it out with, with stuff that I think can, can be worked through in a reasonable way. Um, whereas there's a lot of people out there whose, whose traumas are so deep and so like intense that it's, it's, probably going to be a lifelong thing or at least a decades long thing and um then there's also like physical stuff that that people have to deal with that is sometimes a lifelong thing so i think that there is you do have to acknowledge a certain level of of like okay i, I it, 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 this is like this is something that i've been through like i have to remember that I have these issues because of extreme difficulties because if I treat them lightly and I'm and I'm lackadaisical about it I'll end up fucking myself up because I'm not treat I'm not taking it seriously 
And then I can also kind of get into a, a very guilty, self-hating kind of thing because I'll look at somebody who's overcome a difficulty and be like, man, I'm, I'm not even, I'm, they're so much better than me. Why can't I do that? And then I remember like, oh yeah, because there's, they were getting over this, you know, mild obstacle, whereas the, the same obstacle that, that is kind of relating in my life is way bigger. And even that person would say that to me and encourage me and, and be nice about it. But I'm beating myself up about it. So you get what I'm saying there? Yeah, I mean, you're just... Uh, no, no, I was, was going to... I was going to just be a total You're going to shit on me. <laughs> I was going to shit on you, like, as a joke, but I just, I couldn't bring myself to do it. I, I, know what you, I know what you mean, for sure, man. I mean, like you say, it's, there's no point, like, there's no point in, in uh, comparing, because it is a bit of a, it also is a bit of an apples to oranges kind of thing, because yeah. we all process things in different ways. And it, it depends on when certain things happen in our lives, you know, because little things can, like, scar us deeply yeah. if they happen when we're super young. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, I think it's that you should never belittle any kind of trauma um, or you should never use comparisons to belittle either yourself or other people's traumas. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think like, it's, like, yeah, we have to take it all seriously. Yeah, but I mean, we have to we have to approach this stuff with compassion, and I mean, ideally, this is stuff that that we work through with trained professionals, because as we've talked about before on the podcast, like people don't know how to listen, first of all, and that's like the most important thing with working through this stuff is to really fucking listen. Yeah, and that's. That's the by far the most important thing, and, and like most people can't do that. So, I was actually told that I wasn't allowed to tell anybody. I was actually mm -hmm. told to keep my sh keep keep everything a secret. Right, and that's a yeah. That's well. Let's 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 dive <laughs> let's dive in. I mean, I know I already you've already. Um, I mean, I pretty much. <laughs> I think you know the, the the general gist. I think I, I know told you most of it. It's all it's so disjointed because it's over such a long period of time. Yeah, and I won't. I, I'm not going to like like get too into the weeds on everything. I'm going to try yeah. and give kind of an overview because it, I mean I could go on for hours and hours, and I'll I'll give some highlights to kind of um, you know try to give people an idea of the extremity of some some things, but. Basically, what, what first happened here was that um, my mother started to have... Wait, first of all, how how old were you when this was happening? I was about to say, and... I, uh, so I, I, I guess I'll say I'm, I moved to, um, to Arizona whenever I was eight years old with my family because my mother was having some health issues in, um, in Florida with her asthma and allergies and all these things, and... Um, about two or three years later, she started to have these strange, like pains, like back pains, and it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with the move, but I just mentioned that because, uh, it was kind of a new place. It was kind of a new area for us. So, um, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get in, into, you know, being in a new school and everything. 
and my mom gets these strange back pains, tries a bunch of different stuff. It starts to become really serious to the point where she's not able to like be active. And she goes to this doctor and he says, he, he puts her, he gives her an MRI and he says that she, like her uterus was leaning against her back muscles in a weird way. And he thinks that it might be causing the back pain. So he takes her uterus out. She gets a hysterectomy. Let's just let's just pause for a second there. This is this is probably the craziest, single craziest medical decision in the entirety of this story, and there will be a lot of them. Yeah. So okay, takes let's just her, her uterus out. <laughs> yeah. Let's take, to a, try take and a second. Solve some back pain. <laughs> so, oh, your back hurts. Let's. Let's remove your uterus. Let's, that will that will solve your that will solve your back pain. Let's yank out one of your vital organs. Oh, uh, but it, it okay. Actually, believe it or not, it actually gets even worse in this no. in this same thing. <laughs> in this same instance, because not only do they yank her uterus out to try and solve the back pain, they leave her ovaries in, which isn't in, by itself a an unusual thing like a lot of hysterectomies some hysterectomies they take both the uterus and the ovaries out some sometimes they leave the ovaries in when you leave the ovaries in you're supposed to supplement the woman with hormones they didn't do that so what happened was her hormones that the the uterus was supposed to be um like I, I don't know the entire anatomy on it, but it's basically like I think that it has to do with with like they are kind of fed by certain hormones. And if if they don't get these certain hormones, then they actually um, they basically will die. And that's yeah. essentially what happened to her. So Necro she had to go in something. for a second surgery to get her like necrotic ovaries taken out of her. And, you know, once again, I don't know all the anatomy here. I'm given a very, like, kind of general overview of the craziness that happened here. And then after, after this second surgery, it kind of sent her on a roller coaster of um, just extreme hormonal chaos and um, organ failure. So her, her kidneys ended up having issues. Her thyroid failed. Her pituitary glands stopped producing hormones altogether. At one point in time, she was taking regular blood tests, and she had like no traces that they could find of either testosterone or estrogen in her body. Her, it was just not producing things. It also wasn't producing some of her sleep hormones, so she was having to take this like cocktail of drugs, and. Um, and just like it's, it, it, I I don't even understand exactly, and I don't think anybody who's ever worked on her truly understand what happened, and like why her body was doing something like this. She ended up actually going and seeing one of the the top um, medical doctors in the world that was that only had to do with one of her major issues, and he he like took a a fascination to the case because it was so unique and he ended up doing a lot of work with her um and he has since passed so um bummer there but he uh, there there was multiple doctors that without like 
without their help, without their expertise, she would have died. And then there was also multiple doctors that without their fuck-ups, she probably wouldn't have been in this mess in the first place. Yeah. Um, but so this is, this is all happening at about 12 years old for me. Can I just do a quick – I just want to do a quick meta – comment here not Mm -hmm. on your specific situation but like anyone who's listened to this podcast for a while has heard me and i think both of us to an extent being a little bit critical of western medicine like we've Mm -hmm. always been like yeah like antibiotics yeah they've saved a lot of lives and like yeah there's all this cool stuff you know but and this is the perfect example of like dude if she went to like a uh traditional like an eastern (laughs) medicine person (laughs) and she's like oh my back hurts (laughs) you know like they probably would have had her doing yoga (laughs) exactly so so the first thing they're gonna ask is like oh well what does your like what does your day look like right they're gonna look into lifestyle considerations they're gonna look into diet they're gonna look into how much are you moving are you hydrated are you eating properly are you moving properly rather than just like oh your back hurts let's take out your uterus like yeah what it was a crazy it's crazy it's it's truly insane and 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 of course this is like not the everyday experience of most people but like this this is is the horrors of what can happen when you have this myopic viewpoint of the human body you know what i mean and then yeah yeah and it was a big perfect storm because later on we we found that she did have like certain like um proclivities towards certain issues so this was just the perfect catalyst to set off like a chain reaction of health issues Mm. and um as as a as a as another quick aside people she is actually happy and healthy now so the story has a happy ending hooray um but during these years whenever she was first like trying to figure out this these hormonal issues, trying to figure out what the fuck was going on. There was a big period of time before she actually got her ovaries taken out that we didn't know what the fuck was going on. We had her in, in and out of the hospital, and the whole time she's going absolutely bonkers sometimes, completely mm. out of her control. You know, she could try as hard as she could. She Her brain was literally malfunctioning. Her whole body was malfunctioning. Yeah. And so... Um, during this period of time, there was many, I'd say between like 12 and 15, 12 and 16, um, actually all the way through 17, there was a, there was many times when I would go out into the forest, um, be woken up in the middle of the night by my dad, go out into the forest and hunt her down because she, she had ran off. She had just... Waking, woken up in the middle of the night, snuck out in her nightgown, and just ran off into the woods. And I, there was times that I found her, and, and uh, sometimes I found her, sometimes he found her. We always found her, somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I used the dogs to track her down. Sometimes she would let out the horses, and they would follow her around. And mm-hmm. so you know, imagine thirteen-year-old kid getting on the getting on the an all-terrain vehicle at 2 a.m in the morning i'm going to school the next day by the way you know <laughs> on a tuesday yeah and i'm riding through the middle of the forest out of the national forest and i you know i find my nightgowned mother 
out in the middle of the woods, I grab her and I toss her across the back of the quad and drive her back home and put her to bed. Hmm. And, you know, I'm talking to my dad with a walkie talkie. That's what we use to communicate. <laughs> and these walkie talkies worked over like three miles. I got her. <laughs> I, that you joke that literally like I got her. I found her. <laughs> Meet She's me back at this spot. <laughs> <laughs> like, I shit you not as a, as a, you know, 13, 14 year old kid. Um, and there was times that I had to, um, use sedative medications and her sedative medication was, uh, was clonazepam, clonopin, and it's a very, very powerful, uh, benzodiazepine. So, you know, a Xanax type type thing, but a lot stronger. And it was an under the tongue medication, dissolving medication. So if she had like an episode, I literally like open her mouth and shove these pills under her tongue one at a time and wait for them to dissolve each time. Mm. So, you know, once again, you know, 14 year old kid having to do this stuff. And, you know, my, my brother, he, he's four years older than me. He did not know how to handle this stuff. None of us really knew how to handle this stuff. And uh, my dad was trying to run our uh, his his construction company, um, which was very successful before all this happened. Now, mind you, this is started whenever I was about twelve years old, so that would be um, two thousand four. A few years into this, guess what happens? The two thousand eight mortgage crisis. So my dad, having a speculative construction company where he builds speculative houses is in these like nice you know custom built houses puts them on the market and sells them which have been doing really really good for a long time up until this point suddenly the 2008 mortgage crisis hits and we lose everything so compounding to this horrible um, medical issue that we're going through suddenly our family just is financially insolvent. And I remember a lot of times going down to Mexico to get her medication. We used to take mm. a, take road trips across the border into Mexico and get her prescriptions there. Um, you know, another, another common story in America of healthcare. A lot of people go to Mexico to get their prescriptions. And, um, you know, we, it's, crazy to think about but just fucking basically just smuggle pills across the border <laughs> you know yeah just just so my mom would have her medication and Man. eventually my uh my parents i'd say this uh, I, I i guess i should start with i moved to sedona where you and you and i ended up meeting at, at 16 and that was after we had we had lost the house and we were renting a house there in Sedona, and my parents were trying to, my mom had kind of gotten on a medical regimen that was keeping her a little bit more stable, and things were kind of doing a little bit better, and we started to work on, you know, they started to figure out some stuff uh, financial-wise in Sedona, and then once again, things fell apart, and um, she ended up having some, some issues, and I ended up uh, at, I think I think I had just turned 17. I I was at home one day and they brought me into they asked me to come into the living room and 
things have been really bad between them for a while. Been a lot of a lot of fights, a lot of issues going on. And they asked me, "What do you think we should do?" So, you know, seventeen-year-old kid. My parents, my life has fallen. Has been just been steadily falling apart for the past five years or so. And my parents have thrown up their hands so much that they're like, what do you think we should do? Jesus, man. And when I told them, and, uh, and I've, I've mentioned this to them a few times, I was like, you probably should have listened to me. I said, well, I guess they did listen to me in one way. I said, here's your options. Option number one. And this is actually how I, I laid it out. I'm not even exaggerating. This is what I told them. I said, option number one. You both need to get therapy by yourselves. Like, you need to go individually and see a therapist. And then you need to see a marriage counselor, like a couples therapist, together. And you need to, like, seek professional help. Or option number two, you guys need to get a divorce. Hmm. And so they picked option number two. (laughs) The pride is like... No way in hell I'm going to therapy. <laughs> like they they during that session they said therapy is just that's not an option for us. I said, "Okay. Option number 2 it is. You guys need to get a divorce." And you know, I I told my dad I said, "You need to move move out and you need to let me take care of her like I have been." Um I guess I skipped over this part. I did spend 6th grade taking care of my mother. I homeschooled myself, quote unquote. Didn't actually do any schooling. Just took care of her full time. Um, took care of my mom all throughout high school. Um, had dozens of absences per semester, and I was very lucky to graduate for this exact reason because I, I just had so many absences trying to take care of her that um, they had to make some special um, allowances for me and and help me like work through like some online classes and shit to make up for the credit losses that I had in these classes. So I've been taking care of my mom for years, um, you know, part-time and sometimes full-time. And then he ended up going back into the military and he would, he, he got us into, cause we, we, uh, okay, okay. This is actually, I think I've told you about this story on the cast, but I'll, I'll mention it anyways. So he goes back into the military and my mom decides to like stay with a friend or something for a little while, and so I'm in the house. The you 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 were at the house in the Chimney Rock Lane, right? A couple of times. Oh, yeah. I, I can't remember if you once. went to that house much. We, the one we were renting. I think once. And um, so that's where I was living by myself for like a few weeks, and apparently the owner of the home who's renting it to us had come into into town while we were all away while like I was at school or something and had gone into the house and seen that like you know it was half moved out and there was just like random shit all over the place because you know my parents had both basically moved out so it was mostly empty with just like some little piles of stuff around and then there was just my room that was the only occupied one Mm-hmm. And she was like, what the fuck is going on here? So she ends up hiring a private investigator, which is at this point a little bit of a pride point for me because I was followed by a private investigator at one point. I mean, how many people could say they were followed by a private investigator? That's kind of cool. 
Um, so she hires a private investigator to follow me and take pictures of me. And so this guy was apparently just posting up outside the house and just taking pictures of me and following me to school and shit. Wow. And one day, um, this was shortly before the, the house was about to be, um, you know, we were about to leave the house and, um, it was at the end of the lease and my dad was gonna, you know, he's, he's in the military, he's doing this remotely, but he had me, um, hire actually Ryan Bouchard or buddy Ryan. He was like, Hey, you and your buddies, I'll give you 20 bucks. Just take this trailer, just take everything out of the house. And then I'm going to hire a professional cleaner to come in and clean everything up. And, um, so Ryan and I go there, I'm pulling this little trailer behind me. We pull up to the house and mind you, all my shit's in there still too. And there's a police officer at the house and there's, I get out of the out of the car. I'm just like, oh no, oh no, what happened here? And you know, Ryan's looking at me like, what the fuck, bro? <laughs> and the first thing that happens is this lady marches up and goes, "That's him, officer! Arrest him!" <laughs> oh and I was like, what? You gotta be kidding me! I shit you not. That's exactly what you said. That's him, officer! Arrest him! Oh my god! And I was like, what is going on here? And she goes, he's been breaking into this house and staying here and throwing parties at this house. And I was like, what the fuck is she talking about? And that's whenever she said, like, I've hired a private investigator. I have pictures of him coming in through the garage, coming in through the window here. And I was like, what the fuck, dude? This lady is fucking like, this is the place I've been living. And I was trying to tell the officer, like, my parents rented this place. I'm 17 years old. Like, this is where I've lived for the past couple of years. Yeah, And he, he tells me, he's like, well, you're not allowed to come on this property anymore. I'm not going to arrest you right now, but, um, you're not allowed on this property anymore. I said, officer, all my stuff is in there. Like my parents don't have that much. That's like valuable in there, but I have like all my stuff in there, all my clothes, everything. And he goes, okay, well, we'll go through and check and see if there's anything of value. And then, uh, and then we'll, we'll let you know. And I was like, okay, because I didn't want to get fucking arrested. I leave. Later on, I asked him about it, and they said, we didn't find anything of value. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? All my shit's in there. Oh, so they God. just took everything. They just took everything I had. Wow. And um, luckily, the only thing that I had taken out of there, this was very lucky, that I had my computer, which I still have. I am recording it on, on this right here. Unreal. I brought it over to a friend's house before I did this, and I happened to have my computer. I lost everything else. Wow. Um, but yeah, so it, it's, it's, it, it, you know, I'm 17 years old. I'm kicked out of the house. I go and stay with Ian. Ian's mom took me in. Um, she, I stayed on their couch for a couple of months. And, oh, I uh, remember you know, that. so yeah, I was, I was homeless. Um, and then, uh, my dad kind of got wind of what was going on and um he uh he had contacted his sister my aunt who lives right actually right near me here in florida and so i went and lived with her for a little while and uh worked at a local restaurant as a host for a little while and then um for my since i was i was still a junior in high school this is the summer in between my junior and high school year i come back 
and uh, my dad had gotten me a little condo in the in in uh, camp or not Camp Verde, um, the uh, village of Oak, the village Creek. Of Oak Creek, yeah. And my mom came back and lived with me there for a little while, and uh, I was trying to take care of her for a while, and she was just I couldn't take care of her; it was just too much, and uh, so I ended up. She ended up going to stay with her parents, and I would regularly drive over to Albuquerque to help them with her, and you know, still having to having to do a lot of that. But uh, you know, for I'd say the second half of my senior year, I was just living in this condo by myself, and uh, that was in that time. Did I ever tell you about this weird experience I had? Because this is kind of the end of my. Um, once again, this is my over, this is my tip of the iceberg summary. It's been like 20 minutes, but it's hard to explain all this shit. Mm. Um, so I've left out a lot of details, but, um, at the end of that, so this is probably March or so of my senior year. So almost at the end of my high school and I'm staying in this condo for a little bit and I have this fucking really weird like a month long experience where i was like just super reclusive didn't want to t- say talk to anybody if i talked to anybody or hung out with anybody i was super irritable and at night i was just like crying all the time and mm. just like super weepy and emotional and freaked out i didn't know what the fuck was going on i stayed home from school a bunch of times the fucking vice principal <laughs> was like calling me and shit and making sure i was okay Mm. And, uh, yeah, I think it was a kind of a catharsis moment after, you know, six, seven years of stress. Oh, yeah. And that was whenever it was just like, okay, now I've got to start dealing with this shit. That was that was the experience. Now I've got to start working through the aftermath of that. Mm. So, you know as I said, it's kind of like the, the general summary, but going through that sort of thing, it's not like a, it's not a singular trauma. It's just a, it's a whole fucking years and years long experience of struggle and difficulty. Hmm. And so that's not something that, that, you know, just going to therapy for a little bit is going to deal with. That is that has defined who I am as a person in a lot of ways, and 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 some of those things that is it has defined me as I'm not going to get rid of, and maybe nor would I want to. I mean, I think that there's positive um, character developments that's come out of that experience, but it also is kind of like you know instead of the normal experience of growing up with a parent i was in a lot of ways forced to be a parent whenever i was a child and forced to take on the responsibilities of an adult and in some ways even more responsibility than most adults have to take on i mean there was i i I literally was required to hold somebody's life in my hands my own mother's life in my hands many times as a child and I think that that most people at least in in modern developed countries they don't have to deal with that level of responsibility as a child and it's a different kind of 
thing, you know. I, I wasn't victimized. My parents always loved me. They always cared about me. They never abused me intentionally. You know, there's people who might define something like that as a, as, as a sort of unintentional emotional abuse. Um, but it's, you know, they, they, weren't, they weren't hurting me intentionally. But mm. it was a, an, an incredibly traumatic way to live as a child. And it's, as you said uh, at the beginning of this, it's kind of like apples and oranges. It's very difficult for me to relate directly to that experience with most people. Mm. But what I've found is that I have a tremendous capability to relate to people who have had extremely traumatic childhoods, especially people, you know, who have been abused, you know, physically or sexually or something like that, like really extreme childhood traumas. I can relate to those kinds of people because I see, um, I see kind of the, the the manifestations of what extreme trauma like that does to a person later in life, and and it it allows me it, like that's what I can relate to. It's like I can't relate to your situation, but I know exactly what it's causing right now because I feel the same same thing, and that's where regardless of the level of trauma we can all come together on it is that the manifestations of these things actually do have patterns to them there's a lot of different patterns but they do have patterns when you start to look into it you know the example of that would be people who have trust issues you know people who who have issues with with trust and commitment in a relationship you know that is a that is a pattern that comes about through some kind of trauma people who have the you know the classic separation anxiety um you know that there's 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 a bunch of these different patterns that we can both recognize in ourselves and in others and we can see that like oh that is uh, something that is frustrating to, to experience as somebody who's, you know, this person's friend or this person's partner or this person's mother or child or brother or sister. But this is where that's coming from. It's coming from this place that I do understand because they've been hurt. And this is this is this behavior that's coming out that's manifesting itself because of this of this pain that they've been dealt and that is one of the biggest things that this whole wacky situation in my childhood has given me is that it's given me a tremendous amount of perspective on what these things cause. You know, I guess I didn't even mention the addiction one, which is a huge one. Mm. But yeah, it's I, I have a lot more compassion for people who have these issues going on because I, I, I relate to them in my own unique way hmm. yeah you know it reminds me of a poem actually um, first I want to just mention that uh, you know that apartment that you talked about where you lived alone when you were 17 and 18 that was, in a sense, kind of the breeding grounds for 
this podcast in a lot of ways. <laughs> we spent many, many a night there pontificating yeah. on the complexities of the universe. So in a weird way, and I, and I think I've, I think what we can all come away with, with these like traumatic experiences is like, there's always a gift in there. There's always something beautiful. Uh, and if you just give me one moment, I'm going to whip out this, <laughs> this poem because I think sure, it's very I'll, I'll actually, poignant. uh, mention to you and the listeners that, um, you've, you've said that you can go get the poem. Okay. Um, you know, the, the inner experience will be reflected by the outer experience when it comes to your living situation. And, um, Hank has fucked with me many, many times about this particular condo that I was living in at that time. It was so messy. I mean, it, it was it was just a complete pigsty. My mattress was just sitting on the floor. I actually had two mattresses sitting on the floor because I was always hoping that somebody would come over and hang out with me so I wouldn't be alone. But it was just like like the whole apartment was completely empty because everything was moved out of like the actual bedroom and stuff, but I lived up in this like loft with a TV and just a couple mattresses on the floor and it was just terrible looking. I mean, it, it was just it was just so messy. I was just telling about uh, you you've mentioned that, you know, the inner experience would be reflected by the outer experience. And I was mm. a goddamn mess inside and outside. Oh, yeah. All you needed to do was walk into that apartment and kind of be like, this place is completely empty, and then walk up the stairs. <laughs> it looked like a homeless person was squatting there. Oh, yeah. There. Just a fucking troll cave, man. Yeah, yeah. Hiding in the corner up in a loft when there was a perfectly perfectly usable bedroom mm. and everything. But no, right. no, I wasn't interested in that bedroom. Oh, I yeah. To hide. Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> I, for, I even forgot that there was a bedroom that, in there. Huh? There was wow. a whole like actual like living wing, like a bedroom with a bathroom, but no, I wanted to hide. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So this is a quick one. I just I thought that it was uh if I remember correctly, I think it's it's pretty poignant and it's very short, so I thought it would be it would be interesting to share. So this one's called The Pearl. Said one oyster to a neighboring oyster, I have a very great pain within me. It is heavy and round and I am in distress. And the other oyster replied with haughty complacence, Praise be to the heavens and to the sea. I have no pain within me. I am well and whole both within and without. At that moment, a crab was passing by and heard the two oysters, and he said to the one who was well and whole, both within and without, Yes, you are well and whole, but the pain that your neighbor bears is a pearl of exceeding beauty. Mm. Gotta That's love. Beautiful. Gotta love. Khalil Gibran, if I'm pronouncing that right. That's a good one. Very good one. I like that a lot. I think it's it's poignant, you know, like this is something we see a lot with 
I mean, it's it's kind of a cliche. There's the cliche of the tortured artist, right? You have these these figures um, who have managed to survive through the the passage of time, um, and it's always like, yeah, they were fucked up. You know, he cut off his own ear, or he was a drunk, or he. Uh, I don't know. Like there's and and I and I think that and I we've talked about this. We actually talked about this uh in an earlier podcast. I think we kind of touched on it a little bit with uh the last one with Cosmo. Like some of the most beautiful music on the planet came from the most horrible suffering. Uh I mean if we if we talk about the blues, right? You have this rich tradition which came out of yeah like basically doesn't get much worse than that right um and so yeah i think that's it's always worth remembering like i I think that's kind of the yeah it seems that we we live in a culture today which like encourages people to identify themselves as victims and I think what we should really be focusing on more so than our victimhood is how we can rise above this pain and suffering that we all experience to different degrees in different time periods in different ways and how these experiences in a weird way they enrich our lives and they bring us these uh these gifts of exceeding beauty there has to be a balance between the two i think i think that there has to be an acknowledgement of the pain especially within yourself um and being realistic about it i mean it's a little bit easier for me whenever i can point to such extreme circumstances um, but you know, people, I think that a lot of times people will get a little bit over, over their heads with, uh, like, oh, because I'm in this particular category, I've had these really bad experiences whenever they, if they're real with themselves, okay, it hasn't been that bad, which is why I always try to like remind myself and stress that like, Hey, my parents loved me and there's countless people out there whose parents didn't love them. And who, who, or who never even knew their dad or their mom or had, yeah. some, you know, or who actively tried to make their or, life yeah, as horrible or as possible. Intentionally abuse them. Like, that's yeah. unimaginable to me. Hmm. And, and they also didn't have to deal with, like, the responsibility that I was given and the sort of, like, the intensity of, um, of, of many, many years of trying to save somebody and, and care for somebody. Like, you know, the there's there's things that you have to acknowledge both within yourself and other people and realize that, like, this is fucking bad and and have empathy and patience for those sorts of things. And then also, um, you know, give that to people who's like, OK, well, you know, maybe your 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 dad was really not not there. You know, he was there. You're in a middle upper middle class family, but. Your dad never told you he loved you. I mean, that's not, maybe not as bad as your dad actually beating the shit out of you, but it's still bad. 
it that can still creates it, and it issues. can be even worse like because there's this weird perverse thing where like getting beaten getting beaten at least you're seen right but if <laughs> you're attention yeah no like this is this a is all hot take no like oh my god i know i was um, waiting for the hot controversial takes here there you go yeah, folks you took us an take. hour and eight minutes to it's get better to, it, to beat your kid to than to ignore them you're no, a horrible person um, i'm just kidding well i know I, I see what you're saying though no it, it's once again, I don't know if categorizing it as better or worse is 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 yeah. It's not really useful. Not, it's not really what we're going for here. It's more about like these things should be acknowledged and should be realized and recognized, and and we should have empathy for people about what they've been through. And then and then and then encourage working through this and support working through it. Yeah. And I think the acknowledgement is part of it. You know, that's obviously that's the step first one. step. It's yeah, step one. hundred percent. And but I think um, people get stuck. People like, get stuck on yeah. that or they get stuck on on. Oh, you know, I've got some shit going on with me. All I got to do is jump into meditation whenever they're really not acknowledging what's going on. Like they're not they've never truly um, um, thought about why. Like, oh, yeah, I have an anger issue. I'll just do this. <clears throat> or I'll ha I have depression. I'll just do this. I'll just go to start going to the gym, and start start following this program. And they've never really acknowledged like why they're having this issue. And that's one of the biggest uh, positives of therapy is helping you like identify the causes of what's going on, and then realistic solutions of of how to deal with it. Um, but I, I think that people tend to get stuck on either one or the other. And they're not they're not putting it all together or maybe they're doing that for themselves and they're not giving other people the space to do that same thing. Yeah. And that's why it's like that's why, as we've stressed again and again, like to work through this stuff, it's ideal to go through a professional. Right. Because like. Yeah, we can't expect friends and family members to have the expertise to be able to help guide us through these situations. And a lot of the times, friends and family are like part of the cycles. Like we, we have these, the you know, the, uh, <laughs> we should talk about this another time, but there's the classic um, the relationship triangle uh so this is this kind of characterizes um dysfunctional relationships I like, I like we're talking and I, I like where this is going <laughs> yeah so this it kind of characterizes dysfunctional relationships where it's there it's kind of like archetypes actually right and it's like these roles there are these three different roles that we tend to play in in dysfunctional relationships where we kind of end up cycling through the different roles and the th and the three roles are uh the victim the tyrant and the rescuer oh yeah i've heard about this one yeah and i mean i think if anybody maybe maybe i've mentioned maybe i've mentioned it on the cast before but like anybody everybody is doing this somewhere in their life like it's it's if you look cl closely enough at how you interact with your 
with your loved ones, especially like especially with your family members and your you're like really you're and typically um, you're doing all three. You're like cycling through them. Well, you exactly focus on one general role, but you're cycling through all three of them. Yeah. So, per, yeah. And, and this is yeah, ex exactly. So a lot of times people will gravitate towards certain ones, but it's always this thing where like so like just to give an example and then people can see like how this manifests in their own their own lives. But like so let's say um yeah, let's say like you're you're in a co-living situation, right? And your roommate, um, who you generally get along with pretty well, but they never clean up after themselves, right? So there's always they're always leaving dishes in the sink, right? And another initially it doesn't really bother you that much, but then after some time, you start kind of thinking about it, and you're like, oh, they're always fucking leaving leaving their dishes in the sink and then you find yourself cleaning up after them and you start to feel bad for yourself you're like i'm i have to do all this extra work because this person doesn't even care about and they're always and you and you start to and then you're now you're a victim right yeah and you start to feel like the victim and you oh poor me and they don't even give a shit and blah 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 and then one day you explode <laughs> okay and now move all of a up, sudden move up into the tyrant you're the tyrant right and now you're gonna That's shit so on this you person you need to fucking start cleaning <laughs> up after your goddamn dishes yeah we have to work together in this fucking household to make all that shit work and you're not pulling your part exactly or and this uh, is maybe even more common is it'll turn to this subtle passive aggression right where you're just su you're just jabbing at this slamming person. dishes, fucking closing yeah. the cabinets really loud, exactly, or like making these offhand c these comments about you know just like subtly mm -hmm. putting them down all the time. Now you're in the tyrant role, right? Yeah. Uh, and then like yeah, you I could, mean you could also move. Say it's it's your uh, maybe it's your significant other instead of your roommate, and you start. And they're not picking up after themselves and you start picking up after them to an unreasonable degree because you're like, oh, they're just going through some stuff. You start taking care of everything and they yeah. start expecting that. And then yeah. it becomes kind of a now you've projected uh, they the turn victim into the tyrant. Onto them. You're trying you're the rescuer. to turn into the rescuer. <laughs> and then yeah, they resent you for yeah. and, then, <laughs> and then they turn into the victim. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like this crazy cycle that oh, yeah, all yeah. the time. You can see it, you can see it all over the place. And once you see this it's like it'll actually make you sick how how much you see this in in the relationships in, that you in engage yourself in, in yourself with everyone you know it's kind of brutal actually it's, it's yeah it's kind of brutal yeah and and you know i've been guilty of this i know hank i'm sure hank's oh, been yeah. guilty of it 100%. everybody's everybody is it's not even so much I, sh I don't think it's a, a matter of feeling guilty about it it's it's a matter of just kind of recognizing some of the patterns of human behavior yeah and, and being and, aware of that and so like you can realize okay i'm being a tyrant right now let's turn that into the benevolent leader yeah, if i so, want to take the the role and you have the the more positive reflections of it yeah so the idea is to because essentially we all engage in these these roles and the idea is to become aware of them and then to step outside of the triangle and engage with each other as individuals as conscious beings 
you know, and not as like avatars for these destructive um, roles, right? Yeah. And and so that's kind of the goal. And and again, the first step is like kind of a recognition. And and you'd be like, you know what? I am I'm doing that. You know, uh, it's like the same same thing with you recognizing the trauma or like with uh, addiction. The first step is always like, yep, um, my name's Hank, and uh, I am the victim, the tyrant, and the rescuer. My name's <laughs> Nate, and I'm a tremendous asshole sometimes. <laughs> How about you? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I try not to be, but sometimes sometimes it just happens, man. <laughs> Assholes Anonymous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, no, I I, I I think that that you and I are do try to be good people, and that's really the that's really the key to always remember is that you just got to keep trying. And we've all got shit, we've all got issues, we're all we've all fallen short of the glory of God, as it says in the Holy Bible. Yeah. And we've. And, and, uh, it, it's I, pretty hard I'm not a, to fall short of that. <laughs> it's a high bar. Um, yeah. I think that the, the important thing is that we've just got to keep on trying, you know? And maybe we, we don't get to whatever goal we've set for ourselves, but I think the only time we really fail, because we're going to fucking fail, but the only true failure is when you just give up and say, I guess I'm just a fucking piece of shit, and I'll just keep on fucking up, and I'll fuck everybody else around me up, and uh, that's just the way I am. That's the only time you really fail is when you just start giving up. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like a... That's a very deep, like, narcissistic nihilism that just is <laughs> so fucking corrosive. Uh, and to go back to what you said, there's a great song which I would recommend people to check out uh it's called try again by collective efforts and it's one of the most wholesome uh rap songs or like hip-hop songs you'll ever hear in your life it's awesome and it's uh i think i know exactly which one you're talking about i think it's on my grooving playlist yeah check it out if you if you haven't heard them there's they're not they're relatively unknown and I think if more people knew them, they wouldn't shit on the genre so much because I think they're so – they're just – it's like conscious rap. They're like – they're so – I'm super impressed with their, their message, message – like the messages that they uh, – that they're – the vibes that they're spreading, uh, and they got great flow and nice nice beats, super organic uh, like acoustic, a lot of acoustic based kind of beats. Really, really good stuff. I would definitely check them out. Try yeah, again. I, I do have this song on Groovin. <laughs> uh, for some reason, I thought I, I thought that it was a uh, um, by this guy, but no, it's featuring somebody who shares my last name, or at least in their stage name, mm-hmm. Fe- featuring Eli Sweet. Oh yeah, baby. Check it out, people. So, yeah, that is a fantastic song. <laughs> it's a great song. 
<laughs> my my homeboy cut his wrist because he was hearing voices. He good. He though. good out. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly which one you're talking about. <laughs> he good uh, though. <laughs> oh man, well I think we could probably end it there for the day. Yeah. Everybody, thanks so much for listening and uh, hearing my stories and this uh, wonderful, wonderful conversation. Um, Hank, thank you for chatting with me today. And uh, don't forget to check out the links, all of our links. Oh, yeah, the links. They're extremely important. They actually feed us. Every time you click on those different links, we get a little bit, a little bit of... I get a little less traumatized (laughs) each time somebody (laughs) clicks on and interacts with one of our links. Just a little less. Click on the links to make Nate a... uh, A happy, healthy human being. (laughs) And if not, I'll just wallow in depression, and it will just be that much more your fault. Yep. We rely on social media engagement for our sense of well-being so (laughs) i need this i need this guys come on (laughs) thanks everybody for listening we love you thanks catch you next week